So let me start out by asking you a question. How many of you honestly are ready for 2017? Let's see it. Not many. Not that many. I don't know about you, but in some ways it feels like 2016 was just running a marathon, and now you've got to do it all over again. It's just kind of like, man, that was a tough year. Start all over again. Start running all over. And really for a few reasons, but even when you think of our country and just the things that have gone on with, with all the different political things and with even the deaths, you think of the deaths of all of the, a lot of famous people, even with the last week or two with Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Throughout the whole course of the year, there was a lot of famous people um, as well. Alan Rickman, David Bowie, for you guys, you know, who uh, weren't David Bowie, not me. Antonin Scalia, Nancy Reagan, Muhammad Ali, Merle Haggard, John Glenn, Florence Henderson, Mrs. Brady died, right? No relation to Tom. Um, and then also Fidel Castro, which I'm sure not many of you lost many nights sleep over that. But you think of even beyond that, maybe a little more seriously, certainly a little more seriously, with the deaths of soldiers, with the deaths of cops in the line of service. Or you think of the, the major world events like Britain pulling out of the European Union. You think of the ISIS attacks that have gone on throughout the world. On our, and even in our own presidential, just a long, drawn-out presidential election season. And I hope that even in spite of all of really the hard things, the rough things, the negative things that have happened throughout the course of 2016, I hope you've been able to step back a little bit and consider, to, to think about what God has maybe even done in your own lives. And I know that even pastoring you, that God has done a lot within your lives. If we were to retell all that God has done in each and every one of your lives throughout 2016, it would take all of 2017 to do it. I've taken a little bit of time and considered even in my own life and in my family, but I've also taken some time to think about our church. What is God done in our own church throughout 2016? How has he worked in our presence? And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful and grateful for what God continues to do within our church and even specifically over the course of 2016. He has done so much in our lives as the church, in our children's lives. He's continually added more people to our fellowship. A year ago, some of you may not even have known this church existed. For others, you may have not even been born again. The Lord may not have saved you um, up until then. But yet God has been so faithful to our church family over the course of 2016. He's met all of our financial needs. He's met all of our ministry needs. He's moved in our church in ways that he can only receive the credit for. So in spite of a year that was difficult in regard to our culture and politics and all those kinds of things, God has truly been good to our church and he alone receives all the credit for the good things that he has done. And as we look forward to this coming year, and as we maybe dream about what God could use each of us to do, and as a church, what He could use us to do, I want to encourage us in a couple of really simple ways as we look at this Ephesians chapter 4 together in these, this first half of it or so. Two things that I want to admonish you over to get us thinking and really hope set the tone for this year as a church. But first, continue to maintain unity as a church. And then second, continue to mature as a church. In the first three chapters, to kind of give you a little bit of background, 
first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are really doctrinal. They're filled with a lot of theology and rich truth and so forth. But the latter three chapters, chapters four to six, are filled with the practical side of things. So Paul recognizes, and so must we, that, that our theology, our, our doctrine, all that we believe, has to lead to something practical within our lives. So our orthodoxy, those things that we believe, they lead to orthopraxy, which is the things that we do. And so in chapter four, he's beginning that, that practical theology, that practical side of life in, in, in light of all of the deep theology that he discussed in the first three chapters. And I want to draw your attention again to verse 1 to see how he begins at least this section on just the practical nature of theology within the church. He says this in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so Paul urges the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Now what is this calling and how are we called? Romans chapter 8 where Paul is also writing. He says that we have been called according to his purpose. And that those whom he predestined he also called. And those whom he justified he also glorified. And so each one of us were called according to to his purpose, according to God's purpose. And so if you believe in Christ, if you trust in Christ, then it is because of his effectual calling that he has called you to himself. And how did he do this? Well, of course, he does this through the gospel. Paul also writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have all been called through the gospel to God. Every single believer who has experienced salvation, they have heeded this gospel call. But notice that Paul doesn't just tell us to walk worthy of the calling, but he urges us to do so. As a prisoner of the Lord, he urges us to do so. And I think to boil that down, that statement, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, I think quite simply what he's saying is act like a Christian because you are a Christian. When you consider Paul... And when you consider, even just us looking at this passage, it's one thing for me to urge you to act like a Christian. Because I'm one comfortable Christian urging another comfortable Christian to act like a Christian. But could you imagine, as Paul states here, he's referring back to the fact that as he writes this, he's he's a prisoner. He's under house arrest. And he's writing to you as a prisoner. And he's saying, act like a Christian. So for me to urge you is one thing. I, I live in a nice house that I don't even have to pay to live in. And I drive a nice car and it's just kind of nice and I live in a warm place and I have nice clothes and all of those kinds of things. I never miss a meal and all of that. It's one thing for me to urge you to act like a Christian. But what about Paul? Or what if you could sit with somebody who's in North Korea somewhere in prison? And they're looking at you through bars and saying, I urge you to continue acting like a Christian. Acting like a Christian got me in prison. But I still urge you to act like a Christian. That changes things. That adds a serious weight and dimension to all of the things that Paul goes on to say. The church is to be a group of people, and I think Paul is admonishing the church to be a group of people who are walking together in a manner worthy of their calling through that gospel that they had received. But notice next, really, how we do this in verse 2. Look there with me again. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond 
of peace. When you consider the friction, even in your own relationships, and the lack of peace that you have in relationships with other people, how much of that could be taken away if you or the other individual would walk in these kinds of ways? Would walk in that humility, and that gentleness, and that patience, and that love? How much of that would be pulled away? And I think the same goes for the church. What if inserted by God's Spirit was just a heavy dose of humility and patience and love and gentleness? What if that was just surged right into our church? How would that change us? Why is it that so many churches are known for being cranky, backbiting, slanderous people? Why why do pastors lash out at their people? Why do the people lash out at their pastor? Why do we, even to the outside world, have a reputation for being rude and stingy and, and, and all of those kinds of things? Why do they, the outside world that is, why do they think that the world is full, the church is full of hypocrites? Because we're refusing Paul's admonition here to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in humility and gentleness and patience and love. And do you notice that those four things are fruit of the Spirit? That Christians who are filled with the Spirit are to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit of the bond of peace. We don't, we don't create this unity. We don't manufacture it. We don't even fabricate it. But we're told by Paul to maintain this unity. Which indicates that the unity that churches have is supernaturally gifted by the Spirit. Other translations say to make every effort. To preserve the unity. We eagerly do this. Not out of any kind of compulsion. But we do it because we are eager to do it. And I'm curious if this is your heart. When you even consider the unity within our church. Is it your heart? Do you consider how you can maintain and promote unity within our congregation? Are you eager to do this? Do you make every effort to do this kind of thing? Let's be clear. We're not talking about uniformity. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. We're not looking for everybody to look the same and sound the same and, 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 and wear the same kinds of clothes and all those kinds of things. That's uniformity. We're talking about unity, which can only be gifted and given by God's Spirit to the church. Paul tells us, beginning in verse 4, I want you to notice there where this unity is found. Notice how he uses the word one over and over again. Look at verse 4. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so Paul lists seven things to this church of Ephesus and to the church of Windsor that we must have in common. There were one body, there were one have one spirit, we have one hope, one Lord who is Jesus, one faith which is our fundamental beliefs, one baptism and one father. Notice that three of these make up the Trinity. And, and to give you even maybe a little personal illustration, when I consider doctrine and what, what we believe as a church, one of the things that I find hard to believe is the Trinity. That is just so far outside of my mental capability to understand that you can have Father, Son, and Spirit, they're three, yet they're one and unified as God. That is a hard concept to understand. And I particularly have been thinking a lot about it over the last couple of weeks. And then the, I really thought the Lord wanted us to look at this passage together today. And I looked at it, and there it is. One Spirit, one Lord, one God. This is no small thing. That we consider the Spirit that all of us who believe have been indwelt by God's Spirit. 
That we all have the same Lord. We all have the same Lord Jesus. That we all have bowed the knee and submitted ourselves to. We have the same God who is our Father. So we have been adopted into His family. So one Spirit, one Lord Jesus, one Father God. But there's four other things that He mentions as well. That we are one body, we have one hope, we have one faith, and we have one baptism. So we are one body, even though that when you consider your own body, there are many moving parts to you, yet at the same time you are one. So like our physical bodies are made of fingers and toes and arms and all the rest, all working in unison, so is the body of Christ made of many unified parts. And so the church is to be reflective of God in their unity as moving parts. So God himself, the triunity, the trinity, he is one. He's the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So God is relentlessly unified, and in the same way, so much, so must the church be unified. <coughs> but also, we have one hope. We don't have distinct or separate hopes, but we have one hope. We hope in God. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not in some kind of subjective, well, I hope that this happens. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's a confident expectation that all of us as the one body have the same one hope and that we all have the same confident expectation of eternality, glorifying and being with God for all time. We also have one faith, and I understand this to be our fundamental doctrines. This is why we have a statement of faith that we say we agree with as a church together, a document that sets down the fundamentals or the basics of what we believe together. We have one faith, and last, we have one baptism. So whether referring to spirit baptism or water baptism, this has been debated. And either way, if you are a Christian, you have been baptized by the Spirit of God, and you have been water baptized in order to indicate that you have been spirit baptized. So it's really kind of the same Anyway, so we have that one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity. We are one body with one hope, with one faith. We all have received one baptism. So in these things, we must be unified. But notice that Paul acknowledges diversity in the midst of our unity, going back to that body concept. Look at verse 7 with me. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so Christ has looked upon each one of us and he's dispensed gifts of grace to every single one of us which promote and maintain the unity within our congregation. This is so big. This is certainly in the context of those gifted to equip and preach and teach, but certainly can be extended in its application because the truth is that all of us have been gifted by God, by his grace in order to serve and to build up the body. He goes on to say that those who serve in the church offices are to equip the saints, the members of the church, to serve. And so like we just talked about within the first six verses or so, there's that wonderful unity that we need to be experiencing and maintaining as a church. And this diversity that he enters into with verse 7 is really meant not to destroy the unity, but as a diverse, gifted group is meant to enhance the unity that we have together. Now, I want to think a little bit about spiritual gifts, and I know there are a lot of thoughts on exactly what spiritual gifts are and so forth. And I think within the context of this Ephesians 4 passage, I think this is where he's going, and I I think J.I. Packer says it well. He says, in, in regard to spiritual gifts, the ability to speak or act in a certain way is only a spiritual gift if and as God uses it to build up the body. 
Some natural abilities and talents that God has given, He never uses in this way. While sometimes, He chooses to build up His body through performances that in our eyes seem substandard. What makes something a spiritual gift is not the quality of performance, but the blessing of God. (coughs) So what Packer says is that a spiritual gift is something that God uses to build up the body. There are certain things he doesn't use to build up the body, but the things he does use, whether it's abilities or talents that he's given you, if they build up the body of Christ, if they build others up in their faith, then you have found a spiritual gift. There are so many times when I even consider my relationship with you all where I hear one of you pray and it just builds me up. Or you say something in regard to God's word and and you say it in a way I've never really thought about before and it builds me up as I think about what Christ has done for me. And there's so many ways in which God has used you to build me up and I hope that you're exercising that within the church because you all have been gifted by God. There's not one of you, really not one of you, if you are a believer, who is without a spiritual gift. You have all been given gifts to build up Christ's body. Again, going back to that body illustration, specifically that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12, there are things that your hands can do that your feet can't do. There's things that your eyes can do that your ears can't do. There's things that your arms can do that your back can't do. And so it is with the body of Christ, that we all have been gifted to do various things. All of you have been gifted specifically by God in order to serve one another, in order to build one another up. So some of you are hands, some of you are feet, others arms, backs, eyes, and ears, and you are all gifted to do things that maybe others haven't been gifted to do. And so like our physical bodies, we work together to complement one another, to serve one another, to help each other in our spiritual walk. So you think of 1 Peter chapter 4, which says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Or 1 Corinthians 12, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So your spiritual gift is not necessarily for you. Your spiritual gift is for other people. So we've all been gifted by the Spirit for service. The question is, are we, are we exercising our gifts. I wonder, have you felt God use you? Have there been situations where you thought, God just totally used me in that situation? That wasn't my power, that wasn't my strength. God just used whatever I did in order to build somebody up. Has God ever used you to bring somebody else to himself? You've gone and you've brought his gospel to someone and they believed and you had a realization. God used me in that moment to give them the gospel and they believed. When you realize that God is using you and you're an instrument in his hands, you don't want to stop. You want him to keep using you. You want him to keep saving you through saving people through your evangelism. You want him to keep encouraging people through your compassion. You want him to keep instructing people through your faithfulness. You want him to keep healing people as you pray for them. This is why the worship services and and church gatherings and your whole Christian experience can get boring or monotonous. Because it's so easy to just kind of show up. Show up Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, leave at 11. It's just kind of boring. It's, it's monotonous because you're just kind of showing up and doing some sort of routine. And, and I think a lot of that is because when we come, we're, we're, we're more so coming to consume. 
We're coming to just absorb whatever's presented to us. That's the music we're going to sing. That's the sermon we're going to hear. That's the community. But none of us are actually actively on a Sunday morning engaged in using our spiritual gifts to build one another up. And so I think that's why so many Christians can get so easily burned out and so bored with the way things are because they're not doing anything. They're not functioning. They're not putting their spiritual gifts to use. I think this is so, so important because we just kind of consume whatever's put in front of us and instead of using our gifts and watching God work and then we worship Him for all that He has done through us and for us. We're at the beginning of a new year. And how is God going to use you in 2017? Have you thought about that? Have you said, God, do, do great things through me? Not because I want the pat on the back, because I, I want you to receive glory. I want you to receive honor for the things that you do through me. Some of you really need, need to make a commitment to, to really search out and find out your spiritual giftedness and, and how you're going to put that to work in the church, how you're going to use your gifts to maintain the unity, how you're going to use your gifts in order to build us up. And that really could look different for just about every single person. Maybe you need to get really crazy and you need to start saving your time off and your pennies and go on a missions trip over to Romania and see Pastor Jacob and help build up the church over there, see what God can do with you in Romania, and then come back here and say, God can do the same kinds of stuff with me in Windsor. Some of you may need to say, hey, Pastor, I don't think that I'm really gifted. The Bible says that I'm gifted in some sort of way, but why don't you put me to work and, and find out what God has gifted me with in order to build up the body of Christ. Test me where I'm gifted. The best ability is availability. And when you avail yourself to God, it is absolutely remarkable what He's going to do through you and for you. I can promise you that if you make yourself available to God and and you work to build up the church with the gifts that He has given to you, He will use you in a way that's going to baffle every single human being that that knows you. I like to joke about it because I think it's really, really funny. But I can say I went to a Christian school and some of the punkiest moronic, jerkiest kids that I went to school with, including your pastor, ended up becoming pastors. Really? And why? Because God likes to take messed up people and he breaks them of their sin and he does miraculous stuff through them in order to build up the body of Christ. Friends, the point of coming to worship is not coming and saying, wow, we have really gifted this. We have really gifted that. We have really gifted Sunday school teachers and gifted preachers and gifted music leaders and all that. And so I'm just going to just take all that in. No, the point is coming and certainly receiving that, but also giving back to that, building others up. That is your responsibility. So, so many of us have this thought about church that we'll just kind of serve in a church when I have time. That it's, it's not a priority or it's not the priority. It's just kind of there to serve me instead of me serving it. But that is so antithetical to anything that you find within the New Testament. You open the Bible and you see the church building each other up with the gifts that they have been given by God. And when they don't do that, what does Paul do? He writes them a letter like Ephesians 4 and says you need to start using your gifts. But let me flip this over on you a little bit. And it, it may sound contrary to something I just said, but... Do you allow other people to minister to you and to use their spiritual gifts in your life? 
So certainly, do you exercise your spiritual gifts? But in reverse of that, do you allow other people to use their gifts in your life, or are you too proud to let that happen? Church, if you want to see the power of God displayed in your life, then spend time serving and loving what Jesus loves. And he loves the church. That's what he died for. So many Christians are wandering around wondering when true change is going to hit them. So we just kind of pray, hey, hey God, just change my situation. I'm struggling with this sin pattern. I've been struggling with it all year long. Why don't you just go ahead and change that for me? Or God, my marriage is supremely messed up. Can, can you just kind of hit us with something and change the way our marriage is? Or my kid is, is just a total wreck and he's only five, six, seven, eight, nine years old and he's just a total mess. Can you please just hit him with some of your spirit and change him? But what we're doing is neglecting where God has placed his power. He's placed it in the church. But oftentimes we, we turn our back from the church and say, well, no, I need to get things straightened out over here before I come over in here. That's not the way it's supposed to be. When the answers to our own lack of fulfillment and our sin struggles and our crumbling marriages, they are found in the local church where God has placed gifted people under the power of the Holy Spirit to serve you and to build you up in your faith. You say you, you really think that that is the meaning of Christ's church? You think that the, the church is supposed to play that deep a role in my life? Yeah. Otherwise, what do you have? A country club. One of the plagues of my generation, this famous generation called millennials, is that we perpetually don't know what we want to do. So we reach the age of 30, still don't, which is on my mind, it's about a month and a half away. And we still don't know what we want to do. And so we go to college, which really only prepares us for more college. And it doesn't really prepare us for the real world. And so we end up not really knowing what we ever want to do or be. But the truth is that even if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, God has placed an irrevocable call on your life to say, okay, you might not know what you want to do for a trade or work or whatever, but he, here is something that you are meant to be doing. You are meant to be exercising your gifts within the church. It doesn't matter how old you are. And the same goes for younger generations than that. And the same goes for older generations as well. We have this mentality that we hit a certain age of life. And then we can just kind of check out. I've hit 63. I've done my due. So we check out of the church. We've done our time. No need to continue serving. So when we retire from our physical labors, we retire from our spiritual labors as well. And that just should never be. I think that that age group, that older generations have, have just such, mostly have, have, have situations all settled down. They have their home. They have their finances in check. Everything's all settled. Their kids are all out of the house. And it's just a great season of life to serve. Why are we going to squander that? Some of you have seen that Francis Chan illustration where he has a rope that's like 100 feet long. And it goes all the way across the stage. And at the very end of the rope, he's got like two or three inches about this long that is like black or whatever. And then the very last piece is, is red or something. And so what his example is, is you have all of this eternity to think about. All of this rope to be considering and, how to, and, and when we consider how to live our lives. And what he says is so often we think about that little two inches when we have all of this to go. We have all that eternity to go and go and go. But mostly what we do within our lives is that first inch and a half or so, we think about that last half an inch. 
So we get about that much on the span of a massive, massive rope. And that's what consumes us, our retirement. How we're going to play golf every day. How we're going to collect seashells and all those kinds of things. What a waste. What a waste. We are all meant, regardless of our age, regardless of our generation, we are meant to serve within the body of Christ. I don't want to miss that very clear statement in verse 12, that the saints... Whatever age you are as a saint, you are to be equipped to do the ministry. We've drawn this line in the sand where we say, well, the pastors and the church leaders, they're the ones that do the ministry. And and then the people, they just kind of sit and absorb it all. They just sit and consume. But this is not what Paul says here, is it? He says that the pastor teachers, they equip the saints. They equip the saints to do what? To do the work of the ministry. One pastor author said it this way. When I became a pastor, I left the ministry. Because according to Paul in this passage, who does the ministry? The saints do the ministry. The church and the pastors equip the church to do the ministry. So you need to know God's word. You need to know the gospel. You need to have that armor on as stated in Ephesians 6. You need to have your knowledge of God's word set. Those tools that that are needed to go and to do the work of the ministry. This is so key. And as those equipped for ministry, what do you do? Verse 12 again. You build up the body of Christ. You don't want to tear down. We want to build up. Verse 13. We want to grow in mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice Paul's emphasis is for us to grow, that he wants us to mature. In verse 14, he indicates that he wants us to grow out of being a child. Why have we gotten to this point, even as the church, I think overall in America, where where our understanding of Christ is just kind of the lowest common denominator? That we're not really interested to, to deepen our knowledge of Christ, to deepen our knowledge of the Word, to just, as a church, dive down and drive further and further into it, and it's unfortunate, but knowledge of Christ and knowledge of the Bible just does not sell when it comes to churches. When we consider verse 14, look there again. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's what happens. You get deceived. You get blown around. If you are not steadfast in Christ and the knowledge of him. I remember when I was young, we would often take trips to Virginia Beach, Virginia, beautiful place, Long Beach, boardwalk, beautiful hotels all up. there, just a, a great place. And I remember one time when I was there as a kid, I got sucked under by the undertow. And you know what that is when the water from the beach is coming back into the ocean, but yet a wave is coming and crashing down. So you have this effect. And especially for small kids, it's really easy to get pulled under into the undertow. And I just remember panicking and and sucking water as a little kid and then coming out. I was probably around 10 or whatever. But I was very literally, as like verse 14 mentions, I was tossed to and fro by the waves. If I was stronger, maybe if I were a, a grown man, I could have easily stood up and forced my way out of it. But as a child, it was so easy as a weak kid to get pulled under. And the same reality occurs in our spiritual lives. The way we are, so many of us are still children, that we haven't matured in the faith. And so we're easily knocked around by the, wind, the, the waves and we're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the human cunning and by the craftiness of deceitful schemes, as Paul says. But those who are mature, those who have been equipped, those who have grown in the knowledge of Christ can simply stand amidst that, that wave 
that would otherwise blow them down and call it for what it is. They can say that's error. They can point to a deceitful scheme and they can say that's wrong. They can point out false doctrine and say don't believe that. Friends, if we're going to mature as a church and we're going to deepen our roots together, then we must study the word of God and submit ourselves wholly unto it. I want to close with some really practical examples. Two main concepts within this passage were unity and maturity, unity and growth. And it's clear that these two things are so important within the context of the church. They take work, they take dedication, they take gifted, spirit-indwelt people to maintain the unity as well as to build up the body. And as your pastor, I want to impress upon you the urgency of this. This is what our church, I think, so desperately needs to continue to work on. On Wednesday nights, we've been working our way through this material called The Vine Project. And one of the main ideas within this book is what they call every member ministry, where every single member of the church is involved some way in the building up of other people. And so again, the question is, are you working to maintain the unity of the church and are you helping build each other up? So even to go back all the way to verse 1 again, are you walking worthy of the calling that you've, been, that you've received? Are you acting like a Christian? Are you acting like somebody who has received the grace of God? What a privilege it is to be able to call God our God and that he has called us through the gospel of Christ. So do you live like that? Do you live in the reality of this truth that you've been called? Do your co-workers and your relatives watch your life and say, that person lives differently than me. They live as though God is real. They live as though they do submit themselves to something else other than their own whims and fancies. That they submit themselves to God's word. Are you working at maintaining the spirit of the bond of peace? Are you humble and gentle and patient and loving with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church? Regardless of your feelings and opinions, do you choose to maintain with every effort the bond of peace that we must have? Are you exercising your gifts? And as we enter a new year, I hope that you are willing again to step back and to consider how God might use you in the context of this church in in 2017. The people that you see serving in various capacities around here on a Sunday morning or throughout the week, those are the people who have stepped forward and said, I will serve. Admittedly, we have some serious gaping needs within our congregation that are not being met, specifically that revolve even around the children of the church. And I think that that's one of the things that people love when even they come and visit. They just love the fact that there's so many kids here. And I love the fact that there's so many kids here. But those kids, in a lot of ways don't quite realize it, but they're not being served the way that they need to be served. They're not. It is very difficult to get people to teach in junior church. It's very difficult to get people to assist in certain ministries that we would like to have for the children, whether it's the the nights that we do out here or whether it's in uh, VBS or various things that are even coming up. Or what about, maybe you say, well, I'm not specifically gifted to work with children. And you may say, well, okay. But there are so many other ways to serve. Mike and I have talked about incorporating more men into the teaching rotation of our adult Sunday school. Who would be willing to jump on board and say, you know what? I've never really done much teaching, but I'd love to see if God has gifted me for this. I'll try it a few times in a quarter. We've mentioned before adding more people to our music rotation. Who's going to step forward over this year and say, you know what? I, I, I'm no share, but I can sing. So I'm going to step forward and go ahead and sing. I don't know why share came to <laughs> Please, if you can sing like Sherry, don't step forward. (laughs) Um, 
but in other areas as well. You may say, you know what, I can play the piano. I'm not the best pianist, but I can, I can plunk it out a little bit or I can beat on a drum. Maybe you've been gifted, uh, you haven't been gifted in these kinds of ways, but you could assist or you could clean or you could straighten out chairs or you could help maintain the building or shovel or plow or whatever. There are so many ways to serve. The list is quite literally unending for any kind, and that's a beautiful thing and probably the way the Lord set it up in that there's so many various things can do that a child can walk around and pick up some trash and an adult can, can serve and preach and teach or serve in other ways, greeting or whatever the case is. It's a great thing that no matter your age, no matter your abilities, no matter your physical handicaps, every single person can serve within the body of Christ and find fulfillment in that. But in light of all of this, Are you growing in your spiritual maturity? This is the beginning of a new year. And many Christians begin to read their Bibles new in the new year. How many of you are going to step forward and say, you know what? I'm doing that. I'm going to take my Bible 10 minutes a day, read three chapters a day, and I'm going to make it through the whole Bible. So a year from now, I'll sit here and say, you know, did it. Made it through God's word within a year. Think of all the ways that God would would grow your understanding as you read his word each day and you pray through it. How would that supplement the preaching and teaching that you receive here so that you will grow in maturity? You'll be better equipped to serve Christ and his church. So two main ideas. Are you eagerly maintaining the unity of our church and are you building each other up? Let's pray together.